My name is Gianni Russo, a.k.a. Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from The Godfather. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. Before all of the wins in my portfolio, I was a little boy diagnosed Welcome, everybody. It's time for another Hollywood Godfather podcast, and we just found out this is our 12th season. I want to thank you for that. Pat, my compadre, co-writer, and friend, we have a special guest. We do. Uh, I'll just let me comment on that, the, the, the 12 seasons. I mean, we have hundreds of shows. I don't know. And, you know, I've been talking to other podcasters, and I, I just happened to comment to Adrian uh, Martinez, whose show we were on a couple of weeks ago, that we've never missed a weekly drop, never, with all new material. And he was shocked. He says, everybody misses, everybody skips. Well, not us. So for some reason, we'd, we'd manage. Why to do we want to miss? <laughs> well, you know, p- people get lazy. They got a hangover, whatever it is. They just miss. You know, you don't go to jail for missing a a, uh, a uh, drop of a podcast. But anyway, he, he was shocked at that. And I thought everybody, you know, just supposed to drop an episode on a Wednesday. You drop it. But apparently that's not the case. Anyway, that said, we do have a special guest tonight. Uh, let me preface this by saying. This isn't something that we usually do. You know, we're going uh, off off theme a bit, which is usually uh, organized crime and uh, and entertainment, Hollywood movies, etc. Uh, but we've gotten a lot of questions, some of which we've answered. I mean, anytime we answer emails, there's always a question in there, at least one, about the uh, writing process, uh, how we uh, how we uh, collaborate as a team. Uh, they asked me a, a lot about a lot about writing, but I've never addressed. We've never addressed the editing process, which uh, is so important. And my attitude is, you know, finding a good editor is like finding a good barber, a good doctor, a good mechanic. Once you have them, you don't want to let them go. And there's a lot of people in the business that either. Uh, aren't that professional and I'll go as far as saying, but don't know what they're doing. Uh, but you have to have a very good relationship with your editor because you spend a lot of time with them and they, they have different ways of working and until you find that right, uh, uh, uh working relationship, uh, it, it can take a long time. So without further delay, uh, we're going to introduce our listeners to Michael Dell who was uh, the editor uh, on our book, uh, The Sixth Family, and an editor on our audio book, obviously, The Sixth Family also. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on the show, fellas. I appreciate it. And uh, Pat said he wanted a gangster for the show, so he got one. You know? There you go. I mean, you uh, I was saying that thank you for getting a haircut for the show. We, you know, we, yeah, we, we really appreciate it. I, I personally want to thank you because, you know, uh, I think most of our audiences, if they read Godfather 1, they realize they don't have an education. Fortunately, I, I, and I say fortunately, I got polio and didn't go to school. And when I got out when I was 12 from Bellevue, where it turned into an institution to quarantine polio victims, I wasn't going to school. So Mike is the only person in the world could attest and I'm <laughs> you know, I, I always thought, you know, before you got involved, by the way, to, to our audience who've been asking, what the hell's the audio book? Well, it's finally going to arrive. Uh, Mike uh, finished the edit, which took 145 hours. Uh, and, uh, the, the point is, this isn't a walk in the park, you know, before this process began. And Gianni, too, you know, we always thought, the hell's the problem in, in doing an audio book until he read his first audio book? <laughs> and then you know, he narrated, Gianni narrated uh, the, the audio book for the uh, Hollywood Godfather. And it's it's not easy. It wears you out. And then that is just the start of the process. And then when it goes to the editing portion of it, uh, and I, I can't speak to exactly what was done. Mike will explain it. Uh, it's work. And, you know, I, I know I know one uh, audio book narrator. His name is Ray Porter. I met him. On a couple of occasions, he's very, very good. He's one of the best in the business. And I'm always thinking, well, this guy's got a really nice job. He gets, uh, and he's one of the uh, top readers. He gets paid a lot. Uh, and this guy's got a nice job. He goes to a studio, reads a couple of pages or a few chapters, 
goes home, that's it. But that's not it. These, these books take long. Our book is 336 pages. And it took uh, Mike 145 hours to edit the book. So, Mike, could you explain the process? Yeah, it's uh, well, first, it begins with Johnny recording it all. And uh, Johnny, how did you enjoy reading the book? Because that is difficult to do. People think it's easy, but that is very hard to do to sit down and just read. Well, you know, the interesting chapter. thing about the fortunately, I've, I've made 46 motion pictures. So I had to go into studios and overdub some some of my dialogue. But it's always a line, a word, and they can pop it in. Yeah. <laughs> you and I, unfortunately, your patience with me, I, I thought any day you're going to call Pat and said, you know, get somebody else. This kid's not a kid. <laughs> I, I refer to myself as a kid here because I'm mentally I am. But uh, it's uh, to do what we did and wanting it to be perfect because it is our story. Oh, it's close. <laughs> that's, that's, that's another thing. So, I mean, I have such a pride in it, and we did so well with our first audiobook. We wanted to top it, and I think I, you pushed me into a situation, made rewrites, sent it to me, and you were really an advocate. You did, I say, not knowing you, even, this is the first time I, I met you physically and watched you, I talked to you on the phone, but, you know, I don't I don't know why you didn't just call Pat and say, you know, I ain't doing this. This kid, he doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know where he's going. It, it was a lot of work because I don't know what the total uh, audio was for all the files. There's a lot of files. Like, I don't know. There's 32 chapters. Right. But there are multiple files for each chapter, some of them. So we got it all down to like the actual finished audio book is a little short of eight hours. But there was wow. much more recording than that. Uh, right. You spent a lot of time recording, right? Yeah. Well, let's start with. Yeah. But, yeah but see, like you saying and with me. I'm I'm basically a, a, a perfectionist when it comes to some. It's ours, and this is definitely ours. And I want to, uh, you know, compliment you for staying, and and you'll be with us for a long time if you want to be, because your knowledge and what we need you for is exceptional. So I want to congratulate Thank you, person. Uh, uh, Gianni, let me let me ask you, uh, and uh, our listeners want to know also. Tell us about what what you went through the steps how you read what your schedule was what problems you had uh fill us in well i i tried to develop you know two or three hours a day but again once you get into the story and some of it's very emotional for me because there's a, a big chapter at the end with a, a gunfight that you know it the book is a novel but that actually gunfight was created and a lot of it's true and a lot of it I was a part of, and not only being a part of it, the main character of that gunfight, he just passed away. And I was friends with him for over 40 years. So the emotion that gets into a story, nobody realizes. And, and the, I mean, now that we're bringing emotion, I mean, Mike, I don't know what, what you must think of me for the last, the, uh, the what was it? What do they call yeah, it? The epilogue. Hmm. I mean, I cried so many times. That was so touching to me. You must have been saying, "What? Well, this guy is on drugs." No, and no, it brought authenticity <laughs> to it. You know, it made it real. It, you had that emotion there. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, it, see, that's what I wanted to bring to, and not just read it. That's what to answer your question. That's what I put the time in to do because I want, I want the reader or the listener to, in this case, to know how sensitive we are and the stories that we're telling are of such a different magnitude than they're going to, they're used to listening to, let's say. And I, well, I was, I'm proud of that. I was talking to Mike, you talk about the uh, emotional impact that the, uh, the epilogue had on you uh, several times, because you've read this book several times. Uh, and every time you uh, read it, the, uh, the incident, you know, we don't want to, you know, let yeah, any of the story go, yeah, but yeah. the incident was close to home for you. Oh and you God. weren't able to contain your emotions. So Mike and I were talking about this, you know, uh, should we leave it in or not? And 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 we agreed that it adds to the story because the story, you're the protagonist in the story, Gianni. So right. you're the one basically telling the story. And if something affects you emotionally, it should be in there. Now, as far as I know, that's never been done before in an audiobook. 
it's 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 read and you know the readers are good the professional readers they read the story different characters have different voices and uh they're excellent at, at what they do but the uh, emotion is out of it in, unless it's uh they they they're bringing some kind of suspense and they're, they're trying to get some kind of a point across but your emotion was genuine and we decided to leave it in what did you think about that mike when when we were discussing that leaving that last part in where gianni choked up yeah, like I said, I thought it added, uh, made it more real, made it uh, authentic. I liked it, so I don't think yeah. it's a problem. Well, no, but I mean, you're a professional, so that that's a compliment. Yeah. So, Thank you. How long did how long did it take you, Johnny, to read the book? I mean, if you were reading it just for pleasure out loud, it, it, it would have taken you maybe eight or nine hours or over the course of or two more. days. More. How long did it take you to read the book before you handed it over to Mike? Oh my God, Mike knows better just on recordings. How many hours do we have then? Yeah, it was a lot. Um, What's a lot? I don't even know that. Probably, probably close to a hundred hours. I would say, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we, we, I mean, he edited it down. Don't forget. Well, I do things in different as an actor. I'd read one line three different, four different times, and let him yeah. take one, take two, take three. So not, he had to pick the one out of that. So yeah. it's it could have been 360 pages five times. <laughs> yeah, because you know, we had 32 chapters, so it probably took you about you know three hours or so each chapter, you figure. So yeah, probably close to 100 hours of audio. Yeah, and and what the average audio book listener doesn't know is that you basically edit every sentence. Yeah, because you want to make sure the pacing is pretty consistent. Because if there's too much of a gap between words, it can change the meaning of a sentence. You also have to go in and eliminate like uh, excess breaths, mouth noises, stuff like that. So the readers don't get annoyed or the listeners don't get annoyed by that. You know? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. And if there's a slip up on a word, you can kind of try and cut it out or move things around and try and make a word <laughs> that's mispronounced, you know? So, uh, yeah, there's some magic done in there, but uh, yeah, it takes some time. There's no way so, to really do a shortcut on it. You know, you just got to put in the time. Are you looking forward to doing this again? Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I tell you, Mike, I've, I've known you a long time. You have a lot of patience, my friend. Yeah. Well, the professional alone has to be that. If he yeah, was a, you know, a neurotic guy, he's not doing yeah. this job. <laughs> so but I could always tell, uh, no matter what, I could always tell Johnny was putting a lot of work into the reading. Like he cared about it. He's doing his best. So, you know, I understood what was going on. Just try to make the best we can make it. So now that it's done, and we, uh, well, you, you did what you had to do. And yesterday I did what I had to do to get the audio book to the next stage, which was giving it to Audible, correct? Correct. They have Audible. to approve it. That can take like two business weeks, I think they say. Okay. So, well, for, okay, yeah. for those of you who don't know what, what, what we're talking about, audible.com has the corner in the uh, audio book business. They don't control all of it, but I would say easily 80% of it. Uh, and, uh, they're owned by Amazon. And so Thank once Audible, yeah, Audible, <laughs> Audible has to go through the entire book. And technically, it was cleared, right, Mike? Yes. Yeah. In oh, that's theory, good. In theory, right. <laughs> it's been oh, approved. Yeah. But they still might find some things wrong. Uh, we might have to record something else again, but uh, we'll see what happens. But it should be okay. It should be okay. Okay. So when do you think, because we get this question asked constantly. As we're speaking today, here and now, how long do you think it'll be before people can order this thing? Probably uh, maybe around May 15th, somewhere around there, two weeks, right? All right. That's great. That's great right. for that. That's the summer reading. Buying. Yeah. buying for summer reads or listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In time for summer. We'll have it out there in time for summer. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Mike also uh, edited uh, the, the, uh, the uh, printed book. And uh, the, the one thing that I, I liked about his editorial style, and I've had a, a lot of editors, and like I said at, at the opening, some uh, are more simpatico with, with me than others. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a character thing. You know, either you work well with somebody or you don't. But uh, uh, most editors will correct uh, on the page with uh, software or uh, or do it by hand with a with a, a, a red pencil. Don't ask me where they got a pencil from, but uh, and then they ship everything back to you, and the writer has to make the corrections. 
with Mike, I just let him go. I said, you find something you don't like, correct it. And he did. Uh, and that, that uh, engenders a lot of trust uh, because, you know, it's, it's Johnny and I's project. And we trust Mike to do the right thing. And he did. The, the, the book came out. Oh, I, was, I was so impressed because, again, yeah, the, book, this is the first the time I worked with him. And, you know, writers uh, really have, have, have no egos when it comes to the writing process, but they have, most have tremendous egos about, and I'm using air quotes here, their art. Uh, most writers don't like being told what to do. They'll fight over a word with an editor that'll go on for weeks. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember my uh, mentor, his name was Bill Cornitz. He was a best-selling uh, crime writer, former NYPD lieutenant. And I mean, he made it big. He went from never writing a book. His first book was number one on a New York Times bestseller list. And his, uh, I think he wrote seven, seven more books. They were way up there. Uh, uh, he, he went from uh, living in Sunnyside, Queens, to buying a, a condo on Sutton Place within six months. So wow. uh, you don't know what Sutton Place in six is. months? Six months. The, he got uh, three. This is a, he, he told me this story. He, he went with his agent to uh, the publisher who was interested. Now, when the agent is talking to the publisher, the, the writer should not be in the room. Uh, in this case, uh, uh, Bill wasn't. He waited outside the office. And after a while, his agent comes out. because you know, the writer has to approve it. I mean, he's the guy who wrote the book, whatever the deal, the proposed deal is. So Bill is telling me the story. And he said, my agent comes out and he said, look, we, we talked about it in advance. What do you think of 350? So Bill's thinking $350. <laughs> he said, he's thinking to himself, I mean, he's a cop. He never wrote anything before. Nothing. Not even a short story. It's his first book. I forget what the name of it was, but uh, I mean, this was 20 years ago, but uh, he's thinking 350 He said, well, I'm a new writer. I guess, you know, a couple of bucks, you know, it's a car payment. What the hell? Until he found out it was $350,000. And unheard of for a new author. But anyway, he's telling me about yeah, after he got famous, which was like, well, he was famous with the first book. But after he's into like three books, buys this beautiful house in Greenwich, Connecticut also. Uh, and uh, Why I, are we I, talking I, so much about this guy now? You're starting to annoy me. Well, this, okay. is, <laughs> this is our show. About, I'm going to tell you about this one. I mean, great luck to the guy. He's a great, great... <laughs> How about us? <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you about this one edit. How 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 writers can fight with their with their uh, editors. He puts in a word uh, or a term when somebody walks into a room. He 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 used the term foot spills, s p i l l s, and his editor said that's not a word or it's not a term. So Bill said, "Well, I made it up." But it conveys what I wanted to convey that somebody walked into a room. Uh, he, he heard, he, put in a sense, he heard his friend's foot spills as he was walking up the stairs. It could work. But they fought over foot spills and footsteps for a month. And Bill, well, I don't eventually, even like the guy now. How's that? He, well, but, he's, not, he's not complaining. He passed away a few years ago. But, oh, good, good. Uh, the, the, the point is, uh, sometimes there's a, uh, an adversarial relationship with, with editors. The bigger your ego is, the more you tend to fight uh, with ed everything, deadlines, uh, everything. Uh, and, uh, and he fought with his editors and always lost. Uh, and, you know, the, the bottom line is, if you trust an editor to ed uh, edit your stuff, you're going to have to go after exchanging some ideas, maybe on a certain part of the book. You have to go with what they say. I mean, this is their business. And you know, we're fortunate to have somebody like Mike who knows what he's doing. Oh, yeah. Well, I learned a lot from you, Pat. You know, you're yeah, one of my it, writing mentors. Yeah, well, those who don't know, I, I, I taught uh, uh, creative writing, for lack of a better term, in a, in, a, in a graduate school. And Mike was one of my students. But editing, I don't know anything about editing. And, you know, at one time I thought I did, you know, like any writer said, what am I hiring an editor for? I mean, I, so I could save a couple of thousand dollars. I can do this myself. So I, uh, I, I told this to my agent. I said, I'm going to go over every single word, every single phrase, 
And this book is not going to have to be edited. Now, as I said before, they edit in red. This is before there was software. Uh, they edit in red, and then I would get it back and change it. So I figured this is a perfect manuscript. I mean, you may find a little thing here, a little thing there. But other than that, I really took my time. So I hand in the manuscript. In those days, I had to hand in a, a, a regular manuscript, paper. I got it back. You talk about red. It looked like the editor leaned over the page, the book, the manuscript, and slit his throat over my manuscript. It was a sea of red. Errors this, errors that, arrows, signs. Uh, I mean, which brings me to the point is you can't live without an editor. If you're a writer, you must have an editor, and an editor must be good. It's also very important. Like, working with you is easy because you're a professional. You've done this many years. You know what you're doing. I work with a lot of new writers, and a lot of times they don't think they need an editor for stuff like grammar. Oh, well, that's what the editors at the publisher will do, you know, when they submit their manuscript, they'll clean it up. But when you submit to an agent or a publisher, you only get one shot, you know? So you want yeah. to make that manuscript look as look as good as it possibly can. And that's just the line edits. Then there's also developmental editing, which is plot, structure, characterization, stuff like that. That's really big picture stuff that uh that i like to do you know well, the you, lines talk, are fine but i like to think the big picture kind of thing well you do so you're, you're talking about plot and yeah pacing. uh so do you have i mean you have a bunch of clients do you have any you know i don't mention names of course that bump heads with you constantly no um because my uh, i'm not an editor or a publisher usually i think that's when people butt heads more i'm working for the writer you know so my goal when the writer hires me is to make their book the best it can possibly be in their vision. Because it's not my book. You know, I want to find out what they want their book to be, and then we'll make it the best it can possibly be. So first thing you got to do is you got to identify any mistakes in the plot, characterization, stuff like that. And that's the easy part. But then you got to explain to the writer why it's, a, why it's wrong, like why it can be done better. And then you got to come up with possible solutions. Usually they'll go with the solution I come up with, but every once in a while, if you don't like it, so then you got to come up with something else. It's all to serve the author, you know, to make their book book they want it to be, not what I want it to be. That's the important thing, I think. Well, you, you found frustrated uh, with that though, that you know that you're giving them this knowledge that you you found the mistake and now they don't want to take your advice. That, uh, it, it can be frustrating on its on occasion, but you just got to realize it's not my book; it's their book. So long as I come up with a solution that works for them and that, that addresses the problem, it may not be what I the way I would do it, but long as it fixes the problem, like it logically works and keeps the plot moving or you know the characters make sense, then that's fine with me. You know, but long you as it found, works for them. You found a couple of plot holes in uh, uh, the, the Sixth Family, which you brought to my attention. Yeah, but nothing too big. Um, the, one thing that was tricky with this book was it's set in 1986 and it also takes place a little bit in the sixties there, but like you, you had some car models or something that, Oh, that car wasn't around in 1986, you know, right. that kind of right. stuff. So that's minor details that also the editor has to think about, or maybe this date was wrong, you know? So we had to check that and, and do the math on ages and everything of the characters because, so that's, that's the little yeah. stuff. That's true. You know, when you point when when you pointed stuff out to me uh, like that, I'm thinking my first thing is, uh, you know, thank God for Mike Dell, because, I mean, I've had editors miss uh, editors. that work for publishers miss stuff. It's so hard. Uh, people <laughs> like the, the manuscript is ninety four thousand words, you know, yeah. so each letter, each punctuation, each space is a chance to get something wrong. You know, yeah, and you could be right 93,999 times. You're you're wrong once. You're an idiot. You know, it's like, oh, look at this guy. He messed it up. So it's so hard. Uh, yeah, so that's but, how many words our book is? 94,000? 94,000. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh. Well, I, I, I was surprised I made it to that length. You know, uh, a writer is always thinking of length. It's got to be a certain length. And I was worried when you and I, Johnny, hit 40,000 words. And I said, now what do I do? Because I did, I did no outline for this book. Yeah, I talk just, about I, how you talk about how you wrote the book. Did you guys uh, have conversations beforehand, or how did the process? Yeah, work? Well, <laughs> absolutely. We we spoke practically every day. 
but on the technical end, after I would finish a chapter, I would give it to Gianni, and he would uh, point out things that, you know, uh, he said, well, maybe we should change this, and this is really good, or maybe we should add that. And we did this chapter after chapter, but, you know, uh, you know, you do recall, uh, Mike, in, in, in Seton Hill, when I, was, when I was teaching on a graduate level, I would hammer into everybody's head. This is all about fiction. That course was all about fiction. You have to have an outline. Nonfiction, you know, it's true stuff, and you can, you, you can, you know, follow anything, and just as long as you're doing it chronologically, you're okay. But this book took place in uh, two two different eras in the '60s and in the '80s. We had two or three plots going at once, uh, and I, I, I tell you, I hit forty thousand words. And I, I really said, "What the? I should have outlined this book." Because now what the hell am I going to do? And the only thing I ask myself is I put myself in Gianni's place because he's the protagonist. And I literally said, I was keeping myself up nice. I mean, I, I, uh, is this, this, this was no joke. I said, okay, Gianni's at this point in this story, which you have to get into your head is a true story. That's what you have to convince yourself of, not fiction. But some of it is true. And we'll get into that later if, if we must. But uh, what would Gianni Russo do? That's what I asked myself. So it was real. And I would know where I was going with the next chapter. Then I'm thinking to myself, well, there's another plot going on here. Because Gianni's portion is in first person. It's him speaking. And the other plot or the other two plots or whatever it was, was, I mean, I'm, I'm even forgotten now. Well, I had two other plots going, uh, was in third person. And I said, well, it's now time for the other guy to come in, the other plot to come in. So that kept me going. And after a while, the story takes over. It literally takes over. You know, it's 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 got like a life of its own. And after I hit like 60,000 words, there was there was there was no stopping us after that. It was just logic. After mm -hmm. that, but I tell you one thing. I'll never do that again. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't say don't outline. say that to me. Hold on. We got a lot more books to write. <laughs> well, I, I, no, no, no. I, I will never write without an outline. Uh, oh, okay. Why you did it was. It, I'm telling you, it, it, you know, Susan's telling me, so what are you walking around the house in the middle of the night for? <laughs> Literally, I'd, I'd get up and keep me up. I said, I, I promised the book here, you know, and, and I got a partner and we're talking and I got nothing to talk about. <laughs> you know, we, we don't know where we're going here. And it turned out so well. I mean, if, if I do say so myself, because I treated everybody as real and these characters were like Gianni said, uh, his, his, uh, his very good friend who we uh, dedicate the book to is is a big part of this book the ray yale character who i wrote ray yale's a pi i wrote two novels about him uh is basically me uh it was uh, those novels were autobiographical uh so that was i said well this is, this is these are real people and i'm going to write what real people do and that's the way it turned out but the next I, book I, I mean me being a novice even though I, i've had now two successful books thanks to you and now to mike I wouldn't change the thing you're doing. <laughs> Just keep I, this pattern I, going, please. <laughs> you know, we're getting five star reviews already for the new the new book. Hello, I'm not saying it's not good. In fact, it's one of the best things I've ever done. Look, I'm I'm I'm, I'm no Hemingway. I what I can do is tell a story. When, when I, you I did your when you did your Yale novels, did you outline those? No, because that was me. Look, that yeah. that first book, Bloodshot Eyes is based on a case I worked for Penthouse Magazine. Yeah. And I had uh, and the, the, the case that I worked was investigating the Son of Sam uh, serial killings. And uh, the, the, the guy who owned Penthouse, uh, Bob Guccione, hired me and said, this is what we heard about this conspiracy involving David Berkowitz, the, uh, the self-admitted Son of Sam killer. And I went all over the country getting a story because they were going to write this story up until... There was a video involved uh, where uh, uh, the, the penthouse people said a video was taken of one of the Son of Sam killings in Forest Hills, Queens. Uh, Linda Voskarichian. I don't know how I remember that name. I forget where I parked my car today. But anyway, uh, and that video is supposed to exist. And they gave me leads. And the guy that uh, pushed this story was doing 50 years of bank robbery in, uh, in California. And I went out to see him and uh, to find out what happened to this video. We needed the video to, 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 to show that 
there was a conspiracy in this. It's, and I still believe it to this day. But that's a topic yeah. for another show. So I go there and I interview him. And, I fit. and you know, these cons, they'll invent anything. Just, you know, they, they want something. This guy didn't want anything. I figured he wanted to at least get transferred to the East Coast where his family was. He said, no, I want the truth to be told. He said, there's the video. He explained everything. He was involved in a cult with, uh, uh, with uh, Berkowitz, Andy Warhol, the artist. Uh, uh, and there was a, uh, a, 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 a some other artist, a famous artist. I forgot his name, but he did uh, 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 self-mutilation art. The best thing I, I, I can put it. Name's on the tip of my tongue. I just can't remember it. But he named all these names, these dates, these places. And I said, what happened to the video? He said, my girlfriend has it. And she worked for a college in New York City, a black woman. And uh, she has it. And I told her to talk to you. So whether she believed I was going to talk to her or not, she was shocked as hell when I walked into her office in this university in Manhattan. And she literally, the, the woman Blanche, she, got, she said, my God, he's here. She wouldn't say a word. She wouldn't say a thing. And that basically ended the story. And I was so frustrated that I, I, I couldn't get that video. Because maybe if I was her uh, or anybody involved in this cult, I would have destroyed it. I mean, it, because then everything came to light. Berkowitz got arrested. He pleaded guilty at arraignment. Who ever heard of that? He got 335 years. He's not getting out any time too soon. Destroy the video before other people involved get in trouble. So I took that pent out frustration and I turned it into bloodshot eyes. So that's the first novel. So did I need an outline? I mean, I worked the case. I just substituted people. That's all. Yeah, that, that's the big debate, though, among writers, whether outline or not. You know, just go by the seat of your pants, they always say. And uh, so you don't outline. That's um... Well, I did the outline Bloodshot Eyes. I, I, uh, I, I outlined the pop line, which was a sequel, which was total fiction. And uh, I mean, I've taken surveys over the years. Uh, there's, there's, there's one uh, writer, if I may turn around here for a second. One second. Okay. <laughs> He's consulting James, the library. No, but I got books behind me. James Elroy, which is yeah, uh, yeah. arguably uh, one of the best, if not the best, crime novelist alive today. And uh, he, he did a signing, and I was hired to be his bodyguard. I said, what's a writer need a bodyguard for? Uh, when he gets to, uh, up in front of an audience to speak, but this guy is extremely eccentric. Uh, those of you who don't know who James Elroy is, he wrote New York, uh, uh, he wrote uh, Hollywood Confidential or LA Confidential. Get Shorty, uh, right? And, uh, get no, Shorty. no, that, no, that was uh, somebody else. No, uh, now, anyway, he gets up in front of an audience, and the first thing he does is insult everybody with the, with every expletive there is. He insults his audience, uh, and then he starts talking about his book. So he's garnered a lot of enemies over the years, and he's gotten death threats, and he doesn't care. I mean, he literally, I mean, I was in the mysterious bookshop in Oakmont, California, in Oakmont, Pennsylvania. Uh, and there's, you know, people who go to book clubs and signings, like little old ladies with blue hair. I mean, they, they you know, they can't, they figure James Elroy, this is, this is a big deal. He gets up there and starts cursing at them, calling them <laughs> every name in the book. This goes on for five minutes, and I'm not exaggerating. And then he takes a deep breath. His audience is just shocked. Then he goes into talking about the book and he's a different person. But like I said, he's, he's gone at enemy. So they needed me to be his bodyguard while he was on this tour of the area. But anyway, I asked him about outlining. He writes big books and a big book in his business is a book of many pages. His outline uh, for, uh, for LA Confidential was a four to 500 page book. His outline was 880 pages. <laughs> twice the length of the book so i mean uh, I, i'm in this business johnny's in it now i've been in it a longer time of course i will never understand a writer i mean how does he come up and i knew some other writer uh dan mahoney who wrote uh eight very good uh, uh true crime novels about the nypd he wrote his outline on beer coasters and he could only do it in a bar while he was drinking and the next day, he would, I mean, he would take all the beer coasters home with him. He'd be talking, I mean, I'd be with him. And he'd be talking to me and he'd be making notes for his next book. And he'd be so bombed, he'd go home 
with all, all, all the beer coasters, wake up and they'd be scattered all over the apartment. And he'd gather them all up and then he would write that day. Then he quit drinking. And that ended his career. <laughs> it did. It, it, Danny is one of my best friends. And, and I mean, he, he told everybody. He said, because they asked what happened to book number nine. He said, I, I quit drinking. So why what is he drinking again? What's he doing now? He's a plumber. <laughs> I, you know, I but since I moved here, I lost touch with a lot of people. But, you know, this is, writers are, are very idiosyncratic. They have all these little things that they do, you know, like like Elroy. I said, let me get this straight. Your outline was twice the length of the finished book. He said, yeah, like it's normal. But this is a guy who uh, curses our little old lady. So, you know, uh, that's just the way he is. So to outline or not to outline, but for me, I with this book, which I think turned out very well, I will never do that again. I will always outline because it scared the hell out of me because we write, Gianni, I put these books together with multiple points of view, different time frames, and no, no, I'm definitely outlining. Yeah. What do you do, Mike? For those of you who uh, don't know, Mike is a good writer. He's written books. What do you yeah, do? I do uh, like a partial outline, not too, not overly detailed. I know where I'm going to start, where I'm going to end, and I have like a couple like uh, landmarks in between, and then I just find my way as I go. And before I start a new chapter, I'll usually do an outline of just what I want to accomplish. The for goals, that chapter, obstacles, stuff like that, you know, that I want to get to. Well, how far, how, how far out do you do the outline? One chapter, two chapters, three chapters? What do you do? Uh, just right when I'm about to start the new chapter, I'll just jot down like a, what I want to accomplish them in a list. And then I'll start the chapter. So you just outline one chapter ahead? Yeah. Okay, well, that's that's your system. Yeah. And, and this was ours. So uh, uh, the, uh, the next book should be uh, easier to do. I mean, we wrote this book. In 10 weeks. Nine, yeah. Did you talk, tell people how you, what's your daily writing routine when you're working on the book? I get up at about 530 in the morning. Wow. And, well, I'm I just got, getting in. Well, <laughs> yeah. When my boys. He, were, he's definitely not us, Mike. Yeah. I, I get up at okay. 11 and that's early. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I like to say Johnny gets up at the crack of noon, you know, that's yeah. that a bit. Mike. Uh, is I, I call him the vampire. Yeah, he works at night, sleeps during the day. When my kids were little kids, they always wanted to be around daddy. You know, they were only two years apart, so that they're, they're three and five, and you know, I couldn't write during the day. They're all over me because daddy's. Why I have my kids in other houses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, believe me, that crossed my mind. But I was just breaking into the game. So I, I didn't want to ignore the little guys. I figured they'd be traumatized and become serial killers. You know, so I devised a system where I would get up at 5, 5.30 and write. And I, I, and that's what I'm doing. It just stuck with me. And I'm, I'm fresh at that time. You know, so I would write until, I said 5.30 or 6, I'd write till about 8, 8.30. At breakfast, go to the gym, come back and write about half the length of time that I spent in the morning writing in the afternoon because I tire easily. <laughs> you know, and writing to me, while I enjoy doing it, is work. Hard, yeah. It definitely has to be. I could never do it. Well, I mean, sometimes it flows, like with our book, The, the Sixth Family. It it flowed once I got going, but I, I hit the roadblocks when I ran out of story, you know, which wouldn't have happened if I outlined. But uh, once I'm, I'm on a roll, uh, to answer you the rest of your question, Mike, I do 2,000 words a day. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Two, that's a lot of words, 2,000 words. Do you know where I got that from? Stephen King. Stephen King wrote a book on writing. I believe he called it On Writing, on writing yeah. by Stephen King. I said, that, that's a catchy title. But anyway, it was a nonfiction book about his writing, his technique, his, his life in writing. And I, I read it scrupulously, cover to cover. And the one thing that stuck in my mind, he says, I write 2,000 words a day. I take weekends off. She so has 10,000 words a week. Our book is 95,000 words, 94,000 words. You got a book in 10 weeks. If you if you stick to it, I mean, life gets in the way sometimes. Right, right, right. right. But but it didn't get away. Uh, it didn't get in the way with this book. I mean, we took uh, Gianni and I had to talk every day because it's our book. But yeah. uh, I it, I had no other problem, and it helps if you live in the middle of nowhere. Uh, like I, do. he has nothing to do. See, but right. I have nothing. To do. <laughs> as, as I like to say, that's why I'm glad he's there. <laughs> <laughs> call me anytime. I have no life. 
uh, it's, writing is basically it. There's nothing here. So to answer your question, 2,000 words a day, five days a week, that's that's my system. And hopefully nothing goes wrong while I'm writing the book. I mean, you know, things go along in life, in life but not, not with this book. What do you do, Mike? Uh, I try to uh, do like 500 words a day. Okay. But, but that's tough, you know. Uh, I got to get back to it tonight. So I'm working on a book now at the moment. So hopefully... Uh, Another month or so, I'll get it done. But uh, well, I tell you, you you're going to have a very good forum here. We've got a lot of listeners, you know. Yeah. So whenever you're ready, you let us know. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Johnny, what do you say we go to uh, an announcement? I'm not going to call it a commercial. Uh, okay. Yeah, we have an announcement. You should definitely listen to. I'm sure you're going to find it interesting for yourselves. And if your ambition has to be in the business, this may be a way to get into it. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Patrick from the Hollywood Godfather podcast. As the podcast grows, Gianni and I have decided to fill the slot that Megan vacated last year. To get the best possible person, we have created an application process for those interested in this internship position. Requirements, female, at least 21 years old, be able to think quickly as we are unscripted, and be well-read in the events of the day. While our show is organized crime oriented, expertise in this area is not necessary, but the ability to ask questions on a wide variety of subjects is, as our guests also include people from all areas of the entertainment industry, actors, writers, etc. You'll also be required to read the questions on air from our listeners. We broadcast once a week for about an hour. All shows are pre-recorded at various times to accommodate our schedules as well as our guests' schedules. Decent speaking voice is important. To that end, all applicants are required to submit a video to Patrick at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com. The video will have you reading the first page from our novel, The Sixth Family in Your Natural Voice. The application process will be open from May 1st to July 1st this year. If Gianni and I can't decide among several applicants, we'll have those applicants join us on a show separately to see how they acclimate. Ours is a laid-back show, no pressure. We're a family who wishes to expand. All right, we're back. Okay, uh, for those of you who uh, want to know what this is, we're looking for a third co-host, a female co-host. So uh, listen to the uh, the announcement. It's uh, pre-recorded. I, I did it a few weeks ago. And we're going to work it in the way of a contest. Uh, of course, you have to have a halfway decent speaking voice, not that I do, but Johnny certainly does. And we would like uh, somebody with a decent speaking voice, uh, female to offset us, younger to offset us because there's nobody older than us. So we have to look for somebody younger. Uh, uh, but there's well, no- let's, let's explain the pattern. What we did when we started, we had a, an amazing young girl and we knew she wasn't going to stay long, Megan Oran. And uh, she went on to bigger and better things, but we get more mail still asking for her. <laughs> yeah, so, no one cared about us. Truthfully, I don't uh, mind. So we yeah. we better get somebody in here right away before we lose some of our audience. So we're holding this. We call it a contest, for lack of uh, uh, any other term. Any applicants that are interested in this position have to read, have to record reading the first page of the Sixth Family. And uh, send it to me. I've got the email address in the ad or in the announcement that you listen to. And it's going to be open from May 1st to July 1st. And after that, we will choose who's going to be our third co-host. If we are on the fence with several people, each one will uh, do a show with us until we make a decision as to who is going to take uh, Megan's place. And they are uh, tough shoes and uh, mini skirts and stockings to fill. She was good. She was very good. So that's 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 the process. Uh, like Star Search. An, another, yeah, exactly. Another process. <laughs> we have yeah, well, but, writing, but, but trying, editing, yeah. now getting into a job. <laughs> how, how you can <laughs> win this contest? Yeah, who knows? Who knows what it could lead to? You know, where our audience is getting bigger, it's expanding. I mean, we've been doing this almost five years. Uh, and we think that a, a a third person that's younger than us, female, will have uh, an effect on the show. Because we work, Johnny and I always work well with each other, and uh, so did Megan while she was with us. 
And well, uh, now I, Megan, Megan's part with us originally when we knew we needed a younger person, she's acting as the audience, Mike. What what are they thinking while we speak? And she asked that question. And that's how we programmed it to be that. So she had the option to jump in any time, something that we're talking about that we know. And she realized the audience don't. Can you explain that, please? And it, it really got us a, a fast audience and a, oh, yeah. a, a good recognition throughout the industry. Yeah, it, it, it increased the, the audience uh, uh, significantly because I don't know if you can use the term experts, but we, we know organized crime. You know, I was born and raised into it, so was Gianni. But uh, we, have, we had to have uh, uh, somebody like a foil to work, work off us. If we use a term or something that uh, we just use in our uh, natural way of speaking about organized crime, and other people may not be familiar with it. Sometimes we catch ourselves and go back, but it's always nice to have somebody that's interested in the subject that can ask intelligent questions. And that was Megan's role. And of course, she read the emails and uh, 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 out loud on the on the uh, on the podcast, and she was very good. So hopefully, we'll get somebody to fill the shoes. But we're not going to take just anybody, so therefore the contest. So this book you're writing, Mike, tell us about it. Uh, well, it's a middle-grade mystery, and it's a comedy, and it stars a talking chimp detective. <laughs> I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> a talking chimp detective. That's right, a talking chimp detective. I've known a couple, of, you, talk, I know you know, a couple of talking chimp detectives always, in my I, life. <laughs> it's a question I'm always just, how do you get these ideas so i won't ask that question but how do you get that idea (laughs) i like pimps you know i like monkeys yeah well i have the other series uh the series i was writing when you were my mentor uh honest john churchfield that's uh historical mysteries about the second best detective in victorian england and their comedies so i want to do something a little different talking jacques clouseau one of those kind of things Uh, well, it's not like slapstick comedy, but it's like a witty comedy. Instead of like, uh, it, it's based on, you know, uh, kind of parody Sherlock Holmes. But instead of the you know, uptight, arrogant Sherlock Holmes, my guy likes to fight, drink, chase women, that kind of thing. Oh, my kind of Real guy. Life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> based uh, on Pat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was his model. Don't tell anybody. Oh, I think the lady upstairs. Anyway, uh, do you have a working title? Uh, for the monkey book, it's going to be called Monkey Flip. Monkey what? Monkey Flip. Flip. Because right. it's also set in a world of professional wrestling. <laughs> so that makes sense. So a talking monkey in, in professional wrestling. Yeah. You're it's very imaginative, my friends. Uh, I'm very excited about it. Yeah. And, and of course, it begs the question, what's the monkey's name? Sebastian Winthrop, millionaire chimp. <laughs> That's his name. And he, I can, I can. does he have a million dollars? That's more impressive. Yeah, he is rich. He's a talking chimp and he's rich. How did he get rich? Let's How make his money. Yeah. Well, he was a, a, like an insurance investor. He was investing. It's a long story. But basically, he was, uh, do you remember the TV show Banachek with George Papard? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Remember how something would get stolen and George Papard would come in and find it and he'd get like a commission on it? Yeah, yeah. That's, That's right. basically what this monkey does. I'm very impressed with the monkey. Yeah, he's, now, he's a very good monkey. He's will, a very will, will, will he be joining you on signings? I, I, I should hope so. Yeah, that would be okay. Nice. Very good. Well, yeah. that's similar to like our co-host. I mean, our co-host. <laughs> our, 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 <laughs> I am your co-host. Hey, call me a monkey. The, uh, one of the uh, companies that I own, I always tell them I have the basically the matriarch of the product and i i like him because i don't have to fly him anywhere feed him his name is marlon brando as don corleone <laughs> there you go. but far from a monkey but still Hello. Uh, anyway uh michael with thank you so much for coming on the show and, and oh, explain, thank you explaining this process uh and and, and truthfully uh I, it's something i always wanted to do because nobody Knows the work involved in this. And Johnny does now. But, oh yeah, uh, no. it's, and, it, and it, I, that's another gives me the opportunity to really thank you because I know oh. how, how how tedious it is, and most people don't. I mean, you you take you know three hundred sixty five pages, word for word, 
Now we know how I found out we have 94,000 words. I mean, Jesus, that's insane. But thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Johnny. I appreciate it. Thank you. And I'm sure okay. our audiences, once they read it or listen to it, rather, I yeah. mean, it's, it's there. I'm looking forward to listening to it. Me too. Yeah. I, <laughs> I want to hear in, in continuity. I'm having in bits and pieces of my head trying to remember words and pronunciations. It's like insanity to me. Yeah, we want, want to see what the finished product is. Okay, Mike, thank you very much. And uh, I'll be in touch. I'll, I'll tell you how that uh, PayPal thing works out. All right. Yeah, sounds good. Thank okay. you again, Mike. We really appreciate it. But you're hey, not you're going anywhere. We're Thank not you. out of our sight. We're going to find you. You know. Oh no, we, we know where you live. So uh, <laughs> I even have his address now. <laughs> you're in big trouble. All right. Okay. All right, Thank you very much. Thank you. Please. And that was that. But I'll be back. Thank you for tuning no in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo or Patrick Picciarelli with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. My kids still can't believe I sat with a saint. My life's like scenes out of a movie. I'm the Hollywood Godfather, truly. I got stories with them all. You know, celebrities, world leaders, icons. Who knows what's next for me? I'll never get too old to have a little fun. Come on, I'm Gianni Russo. A genuine one of a kind. What a ride it's been, this life of mine. And I ain't done yet. I'll be back until next time. And that was that.